Welcome back to Pixels and Pints Up Late. This is our first one for 2024. Full uh, breakdown of a single single topic for the for the episode. I'm Dan. I'm joined today by Pete. Howdy. And Tom. Hello. And we're going to be trying one big beer uh, each. Uh, but uh, well, mine's a New Zealand one. Tom's is an Aussie one, and yours is an Aussie one too, isn't it, Pete? So yeah, it is. I'm the outlier here. My my one is part of the the uh, New Zealand beer pack I bought just before Christmas the, that had some of the small god beers beers in it that I've done before. So uh, tonight we're going to talk about evolution, character positive character development over time for video game characters. Uh, David Jaffe, who was the director and part creator or sole creator of the first two God of War games, uh, the, the mm-hmm. old school God of War games, not the, uh, not the most recent uh, the most recent 2018 and Ragnarok ones. The Greek trilogy. The Greek trilogy, yeah. Uh, spoke uh, about a month ago about his dislike of the path that they took Kratos's personality on, his character development. He didn't like that they'd turned him into a father and a bit more of a nurturing character. Uh, he's. I did make the guys watch the second video that he released uh, that was obviously a follow-up. Address the, the hate. <laughs> yeah, address the hate. Because I, I think he I, – I completely agree with what he had to address in the second video that he came yeah. across – arrogant and um petty in the first the first one saying he didn't outright say it but it was kind of like oh well you you stripped everything that i wanted in kratos from the very beginning and i wanted the character to do this in the second video he was more like no i get that a character has to have some sort of development and evolve to be interesting i understand all this and if you like the way that it's it's been it's been taken by santa monica Perfectly fine. You're you're more than welcome to like it. You get, but he was like, "This isn't w- what I wanted, and I don't know how the longevity of this uh, father-like figure, more gentle Kratos character, uh, has going forward." So yeah, yeah we're going to talk. We're going to talk Kratos and God of War, uh, and we'll probably throw some other character developments uh, in video examples. Games. Yeah. Some other excellent character, good growth. ones. Yeah. We're not going to get bogged down in negatives because we don't want to. We don't want to do negative ones. We we threw some negative ones around ourselves, but <laughs> we want to focus on the more positive side here. I just just before we move on, so just watching that latest David Jaffe um, video, like the follow up, <clears throat> he did like and. Kratos to a Wolverine character, or, or he said he was originally oh, yeah. designed to be a, a, a superhero, <laughs> yeah. and and acknowledge that like people like Superman do change over time, but that's a comic that's been going on for almost a hundred years, and the rate of change is very fucking slow, and so of course it's had to go through its he he has gone through some fundamental character development. Superman is still Superman, um, and then he talks about I, I thought it was interesting he he kind of adjusted what he was saying around Kratos in that he said that he thoroughly enjoyed the 2018 re-release. He thought it was mm. interesting what they did with the character, but it was a a plot twist and a new direction. And so his criticism is more of the second game, Ragnarok, yes, and that it mm. didn't have the same impact because they they really have nowhere to go. They, that, that shock factor is gone now. Um, although he did say that he hadn't finished playing Valheim, so it would be interesting to see what Valhalla. He, Valhalla, sorry. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he thinks about the follow-up and the obvious direction they're taking Kratos into the future. Um, and you've finished Valhalla now, Pete? Yes. Yes, I have. Okay. So I think going forward from this conversation, there'll be uh, God of War Ragnarok and God of War Valhalla spoilers. Mm. Um so from from this point on, do we want to talk about the beers before yep. we go deeper into this? Because I can see us getting distracted and not talking about the beers until about halfway through. <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> oh, that's got a splendid idea. Yeah. What are you drinking, Pete? Oh, um, oh, I'm drinking, <laughs> excuse me, Brick Lane Brewing's Smoking Gun, which is a Spanish Cedar Imperial Cigar Stout at 10.6%. Um, it's interesting. It's certainly complex. Uh, you get a lot of, um, well, obviously you get a coffee, like a black malt coffee base. It's quite acidic. Um, almost it's not soy sauce in a bad way, but it kind of has those, those properties. Um, you do get some vanilla. It's, I would say that it's quite subtle compared to how strong the coffee notes are. And then the rest, there's not a lot of smokiness in it. I'm surprised given it's described as a cigar stat and it's called Smoking Gun. There's almost no smoking s- smoke in it. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how it goes when it, while it warms up. I almost want to reserve judgment, to be honest. I think that's fine on these episodes if we reserve judgment. Generally, seeing as we are drinking bigger stouts for this, let them do warm up a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I can already I can already taste that it's starting to open up and the the layers are starting to separate out a little bit, so it's easier to kind of pick them up. Um, yeah, certainly some spice in there. I don't know if seed is the right word. I mean, on, when I looked it up on Untapped, and it does talk about um, it's designed to evoke the opening of a humidor with fine notes of leather, tobacco, black pepper, and sandalwood. So I'd say the black pepper is the spice I'm picking up. I'm not getting tobacco. I've actually I've got a humidor now, um, made out of cedar. So that that the smell of the wood is quite familiar to me, and I'm not getting any of that. So we'll see how we go. I can only imagine what a new one smells like. It must smell beautiful. A new humidor? Mm. It, it is gorgeous. Mm. It is gorgeous. And if you get um, upmarket, well, if you get anything but shit cigars, the cigar tubes, even the Australian cigar tubes where they've had to repackage it with the plain packaging for the Australian government, um, they still leave a piece of, of cedar wood yeah, folded up on the outside of the cigar. So you can you can actually, you're supposed to light your cigar with it. So instead of lighting the cigar directly, you light the cedar and then the wood lights the cigar. Um, yeah, that smells gorgeous. But anyway. Uh, look, out for, look out for our uh, offshoot episode, uh, Pixels and Cigars, <laughs> coming to you next winter. <laughs> yeah. Scotches and Snogies? Stogies? <laughs> Scotches and Stogies. Now that's, yeah, no, I'd fucking definitely start that podcast <laughs> if we had any more time. <laughs> Chuck a uh, patent pending on it. Scar it up by Yeah. Uh, who's up next, Tom? You have you tasted it enough? I have tasted it. I've had uh, several sips of mine. Um, I am drinking uh, Boat Rocker Brewers and Distillers from Victoria. Uh, this is one of their Ramjet series. Uh, it's in glass. It's been a long Ooh. time since I've had a bottle. Cool. On there. Yeah. Um, so this is the Ramjet's their annual annual uh, Imperial Stout series, and they often do weird and wonderful things to it. I've got a completely different one in the fridge uh, still. Um, so this is their Starwood Whiskey Barrel Aged Imperial Stout that's been infused with whole coffee beans. And it's from 2019, so I've had it sitting in the fridge since 2019 um, in, in my stout drawer. 
Um, and it has the booze is really mellowed out, but the coffee's still there and it's started to get a bit more chocolatey. And it is like first sip, I was like, oh yeah, yep, yep. Okay, that's that's yeah, wow. Um if I'm a jittery mess by the end of it, it's <laughs> like the coffee notes are huge. Like even being that old, it's like like first sip, I was like, oh zing, hello, I'm awake. Um Let's go. Let's record. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's tasting really good. I am going to do the same. I'm going to reserve judgment until the uh, it's had a little time to um, warm up. I pulled it out the fridge about 20 minutes before we sat down to record. But um, second sip of that, same thing. More of that chocolate's coming through. Um, so I reckon halfway through, it's going to taste like a really delicious mocha, um, which is going to be uh, just what I want on a, on a lovely Sunday afternoon. Um, what, but yeah. What, what year was the beer released? Uh, well, it says 2019 on it. Okay. There, so we've already tried the Ramjet 22, which was a vintage 2014-2015 brew. Yep. So they're they're barreling, barreling this shit for years before they release it. So I'm just probably drinking the 23 version then. Uh, I can find out. I can cool. find out. Um, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll let it warm up a bit and maybe. Boat, Boat Rocker hasn't even been around for that long, have they? Surely they yeah, I, I, I'm just yeah. I mean, I mean, it might be the barrel, the Starwood barrels that oh, it's coming go. out of. This beer will sell well up to five years. Okay, no, it doesn't say. Got a little few notes on it, but nothing about when it was actually, what year it was brewed to be then. Yeah, right. In. Yeah. So, um, I have had that in the fridge for a few years though, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was a 2019 release. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There is a Ramjet 2019 in a bottle. Because they yeah. mostly do cans for that series, so yeah, I could check the other one I've got. I could. Did I could you run buy it from Carwin Sellers? We talked about Carwin Sellers before. I love Carwin Sellers. Uh, I honestly cannot tell you. I don't know where I got this. Um, I, I, if it says 2019 on it, I'm pretty sure it is the 2019 yeah. brew. I'm, I'm look or 2019 release. I'm looking at it now on Carwin yeah. Sellers. Ironically, um, yeah, it's uh, it's really good. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to enjoy this. Dow Dow. Uh, Dan, what do you got? Uh, I have the Small Gods Vertun, a one ton. I have no idea what that uh, one ton uh, Imperial Stout refers to. It's a 10%er uh, because there is zero information on the can. Uh, it's just a nice, simple, sort of hmm. kind of abstract. It's going to say it's very artwork. monolith. We were talking about yeah. <laughs> cosmic horror. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of the feel I get from it. Is uh, there's a little, there's you can't probably can't quite see it. There's a little tiny man mm. standing under the the big, the yeah, big gotta, cube. Got to have him for scale. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I really like that artwork. That is something that I would hang on my wall. It's, um, it it evokes uh, weirdness. We fucking nailed it, dude. Can I can I steal the the mic for a sec? Yeah, go. Um, so on Untapped, they've written out the full release notes. Upon the quiet arrival of the ton, the world seemed to fold into an eerie stillness. It hovered, a massive black cube with edges that seemed to stretch into the unknown, its gravity a silent call, pulling everything yet touching nothing. Its presence was an enigmatic whisper, a ghostly allure that seemed to come from the folds of another realm. The oddity of the ton with its silent, immeasurable immensity was a mystery that beckoned, yet remained an untouched enigma, a vague silhouette in time, a question without answer. 
So that is another beer description that says fucking nothing about the products, but <laughs> I like it. <laughs> they do go on. Oh, I just yeah, I just yeah. wanted to, you know, because it's quite long and I don't want to spend 15 minutes reading, but the ton is an imperial stout, full stop. This huge and viscous, viscous dark beer features a robust base of 1,000 kilograms of New Zealand malts, bringing an array of complex dark malt characters. As this decadent and indulgent beer warms in your glass, it reveals elegant and in- integrated flavors of roast, Dark chocolate, dark fruit, burnt toffee, caramel, toasted rye bread, brown sugar, and porridge. This is reinforced by a smooth and warming boozy finish and top notes of bramble and blackberry jam from a judicious addition of British hops. I agree with about half of that. <laughs> Couldn't ask for a, a, a broader, like a bigger description. Yeah, uh, I, I guess mm, it, it's going to be interesting to see how this warms up, actually, if they're talking about dark fruits. I'm not really getting any of that at the moment. Um their their sweet jammy finish with the with the the choice of hop there, you do get that, uh, but it's really delicate. Mm. Uh, the 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 definitely the dark chocolate. Uh, it's not it's not a coffee heavy flavored like a dark roast um, roasted barley which has those coffee notes to it. It's definitely not heavy on that uh, for the stout. The booze to start with because it was <laughs> excuse me. Um, because it was quite cold, the booze didn't really show too much to start with. The first sip I had, I'm like, wow, that's a really well-masked mm. 10%. Uh, but now it's sat there for sort of five, 10 minutes. It's opening up more. And that booze is coming through, but it's not taking away. It's adding to the the overall complexity from it. Definitely agree with their burnt rye bread. Um, you have that that burnt spice Mm. Uh, that 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 sort of burnt, bready, spicy character that rye rye can give. Uh, it's really really enjoyable. It's uh it's going to be a really nice one to sit here and drink for the next forty five minutes to an hour. <laughs> nice. I'll tell you what. My last sip. I I I wouldn't have called it cedar or sandalwood had I not read it. But you can definitely taste sweet wooden notes through the beer now, which I think is really cool. I found out. I did my research. It was brewed in 2019, was aged in the Starwood barrels for six months. Nice. And they said it's five years, so I've drunk it just in time. Well done, Tom. Pat on the back. <laughs> um, Danny, you're reserving your score as well? Yeah, yeah. I think I'll just hold off hold off till I finish the glass at least. Yep. Uh, but it's, it's, I'm, it's starting very well. Cool. All right, let's kick off with the topic at large. I think we're obviously going to talk about Kratos quite a lot and his... I think the the core here is what games nailed character development to the point where it was central to the game's success, whether or not it was exclusively, you know, the reason for the game's success or not. It was, you know, one of the core tenets of the game being considered good. I think really just trying to summarise what we were talking about before. And Kratos is a bit of an outstanding character because there's not too many video game characters that have held the path from their original release 15 years ago or whatever the whenever the first one came out. I can probably 2000, that, 2005. Okay. <laughs> almost he, almost he utters almost boldly. 20 years. <laughs> almost 20 years. Uh no I did my research. Character has really continued on that springs to mind from Start to finish for twenty years. I there's tons, but it's a me, a Mario. <laughs> uh, yeah, but hey, 
Hey, on a consistent on a consistent basis, Kratos from the start, from when we resaw him appear in 2018, mm. is the same. Kratos. I say this in loose quotation marks because we're going to we're going to talk about how he isn't the same Kratos, but he he is the same Kratos from that very first game all the way through. It's a consistent character across. He has memories of those first games. Yeah. Um. Uh. Solid Snake came up. When I was doing some research, okay. but I, yep. I haven't played enough Metal Gear Solid to, no. to be able to verify that. But I've played three games, um, and then a bunch of Final Fantasy characters and a bunch of other games that I just I haven't played personally. Um, so Final yeah. Fantasies are always uh, that. Yeah, there's some Final Fantasy moments that I'm sure Ed right now, as he's listening to this, is screaming into his phone <laughs> as I'm going to butcher this. But uh, I often find that the that a lot of their character developments are a bit harder to to track or, or to follow with. A lot of it seems to be lost in translation. Yeah, welcome um, to Japanese RPGs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's And that's a real shame for for us as, you know, uh, non-Japanese native-speaking people. But it's like, yeah, you, I think you lose a lot of that when they do translate it. And there's some particularly weird moments across the series, but there are some some fantastic moments. Like like Sue and I were talking about, like Final, Final Fantasy X, still one of the all-time great games um, in terms of the, the roles those characters play. But, yeah. Um, but no, I think yeah. Let's start off with Kratos because he's he's the he's the big one, the big boy. Um, so Pete, what did you think about his final development at the end of Valhalla? Um, I look. I think they, ironically, going back to what Jaffe said, they had nowhere else to go. They with what they had done, they had played like it had played out its, like it had run its course. The whole father reinventing himself and dealing with the the pain and the anguish and the guilt and all the other emotions that wrapped up with his original trilogy worth of memories um i think the idea of of acceptance and evolution was the only place they really could go to mm. to move into another chapter so i i thoroughly enjoyed it i really enjoyed Val- uh, valhalla the 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 storyline elements were really cool uh, the game mechanics were okay. I mean, I didn't hate them. I didn't love them. Um, they got stale pretty quickly, but, I mean, look, it was a DLC. It was fucking free, right? Um, and in order for them to make it free, they needed to keep dev costs down. But, yeah, I think as a character, I'm I'm a bit excited about where they're going next. But I, I, I also think that they could have taken it in other directions into other pantheons. I probably would have been more excited if they'd acknowledged his Greek roots there's some Greek elements in the latest DLC. They've done the hell out of Norse mythology. If they had introduced like Ra coming out of the fucking ground at the end, that would have been sick. Oh no, no. Oh, oh I hate that. Oh, take nah. us into another pantheon of gods. Is, is I, kind no, of I think point. which which they Tyr did. Tyr did that anyway. Yeah. Tyr's yeah. weapons did that. Yeah, that that teased the element of the the other pantheon scene there. But if they'd just done like a almost been like a weird trailer that you played through. I, I think it would have completely changed my experience with that game. Well, that DLC. particularly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, like, I ham, like my description would be very ham-fisted because, I mean, that's a very AC Origins DLC god. Like you had to fight Ra, he, or yeah. I don't think it was Ra. One of the gods came up out of the fucking sand. He was huge. And, but, like, if you, you could do it a lot better. You could just have one of the one of the Egyptian gods scream at him for some slight that we've not heard about before uh, and pull him into that world for the next game. I don't know. 
They um well yeah if you if you if you get a chance to read the the comic that's set in between three and twenty eighteen, um, it does allude to the fact that he did end up in the Nile region and okay. didn't whether know or that. not he whether or not he destroyed the uh, Egyptian pantheon or it really dealt with him. It seemed more like he was just wandering lost, but ended up there because um, he sees a vision of Athena like near the Nile and it implies that he spends time there. Um, yeah right. But yeah, but- I, I think I think the way they did tears, weapons, all being from different cultures, indicating like his travels and stuff, was an allude to they they're going to explore more pantheons and whether or not they do it in the same style of, you know, inevitably Kratos ends up destroying destroying that pantheon and you know uh, what that message is for from 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 the developers or if it's. You know, going down that last line where it ends up, and it's like he is the the god of hope now, as opposed to the god of war. Um, and what that could mean, like how they take that to to the next level. But he, yeah. uh, I'm just conscious. I need like we need to throw back to Dan because Dan, you asked me a question, and we we've kind of answered, and need to go back to you. But just just on that though, uh, the, the whole god of hope, god of war thing. He's still the god of war. He's sitting on the council as god of war, and it was more an acknowledgement that. By becoming the god of war in the Norse council, he's mm. responsible for setting the terms of war and ensuring that it doesn't spread chaos. And so it's almost inevitable that there will be more war, but he can minimize the damage or harm it does to the broader world, yeah. was what I took away. Which pulls back all the way to Ares from the the god of war mythology as well as Ares from Greek mythology where he's... He's quite haphazard. Like he will, it, it just what happens happens in war, and he will agitate both sides to the point where it just breaks out in all hell. As where the if Kratos, if they that will they obviously do very much imply at the end of Valhalla that Kratos has turned a new page in his understanding of what, like you said, Pete, what a god of war should be, and almost bringing in a, a level of Geneva Convention into ancient ancient war yeah um the the kratos convention and how all of that interplays into what we see going forward i think it's a big mistake for them to i mean they've said the north era is over uh so that we will be moving on to another pantheon uh, or another another region after that uh, but to to see how that character where we are now to where it goes uh, in the future, with him already having that that hope side and linking back up with Atreus, uh, and how he came to understand and appreciate his son at the end of Ragnarok, um, and has the family that he ultimately lost in the first, uh, well, in the very first game. You see the mm-hmm. flashback of him killing his original, his first wife and in daughter in a in an Ares induced rage and illusion, um, really. Brings it full circle. I mean, we saw yeah. it a little bit at the end of God of War 3 where he defeated Zeus and fell into what was some sort of uh, afterlife uh, where he rejoined the spirit of his daughter and wife. And we don't really know how that continued on. Maybe, Tom, the the, the comic explains where he, how he ended up not in that. Yeah, it does, that, does uh, talk about it, yeah. Okay. I'm going to have to read it now. I'm going to have to track it. Guys. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, I'll have to track it down and find it. So. I, th- I think I think with how short Valhalla was and how much it actually spoke to his 
character and his past uh, compared to what we really saw in the in Ra- in 2018 and Ragnarok, which was the development of the father son, the relationship, the Valhalla download uh, the DLC really talks to who he was, who he used to be, yeah, rather than um, rather than who he has to be, if that makes sense. In 2018, yeah, and mm-hmm. Ragnarok, he's really still developing that relationship with Atreus and what uh, what his wife was talking to him about about building the bond with the son uh, mm. as where you were, it was just you, uh, Mimir and Helios uh, for all of Valhalla or most of Valhalla. You mm. had got a little bit of Freya and the, the Val- Valkyries, but it was really Kratos central um, compared to the, the actual mainstream games. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Put him front and center. Mm. Yeah. I um, mean, I, sorry, go. Tom. I was just going to say like, can we, going back to the Jaffe thing and like the point he said, I, I firmly believe that the step they took with Kratos was obviously was the right one. Um, and I, I firmly disagree with his, the, the assumption or whether or not it's like exactly the words he used. I really don't think that the Greek God of Greek Kratos could have continued. Like no. I, I played Ascension and I loved it, but it was already very, tired. So tired, so tired. And it's the, like it's it's now up to these developers to get us a new Kratos for a new new series and new Pantheon, um, but the yeah, like the way he was talking about like they shouldn't change that much. It's like that's that's where I have issue with what he's saying. I I, I really like it when characters get get that redevelopment when it's done well, um, and I think Kratos is a perfect example of this. Um, just because it was it was tired like. Yeah, we get it, man. You scream at everything and you just destroy everything in sight. But, like, they tried to wing something in in God of War 3 with Pandora and, like, having to care about someone else. But ultimately he was just like, mm, still going to sacrifice everything for for suiting my own needs and stuff. Mm. And um, it's funny because oh, – sorry, I just want to jump in before I no, lose no, this train of thought too – is the funny you should say that sacrifice, uh, sacrifice anything for his – Yeah. For for moving his uh, his goals forward, as where 2018 he does the exact opposite. He sacrifices everything within himself. That little trip back down the river from Freya's hut to his hut yep. to pick up the blades of chaos. Yeah. He is absolutely sacrificing what little bit of the soul he had left to rejoin that past he was trying to bury by picking those blades up again. Yeah. And it's 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 just linked into what you were exactly saying there, Tom. Mm. Well, that's the feeling I got from that trip. I I love that that soul oh, trip down the yeah. river. That is what that is one of the highlights of the of the entire series. Is that mm. that just that one scene, um, and the whole like kind of bathing it in red, the whole the whole way they they, they shot it, yeah, and the storm and yeah. I think the gravity that you felt while he. When he picked out, when he took out the blades of chaos from under the floorboards, was was poignant as well, mm. because it had something. It was it was kind of symbolic that he had buried that part of himself, and he it was being forced to to come to the fore again, or, yeah. or boil to the surface again. And and the the sheer the way he wrapped the chains, he kind of went around one loop and pulled it taut, yeah. and then yeah. went around again. And it was this. It was this. This. And I mean that is. The actor, the writing, and the the animation team uh, to to all tie that emotion together of 
that character and you you really saw something different there. And it was just between us and him. It wasn't. Yeah. There wasn't somebody else there to experience it. So no matter what the other characters saw from that point onwards when he had those blades, and I know Atreus and Mimir and uh, that commented on them, uh, but uh, it was just between. It us was a. At that it was point. a. It was a. Yeah. It was a contemplative character moment that yeah. we were observing. Yeah, a private moment. Yeah, and I think that shows speaks volume for the the writers of that as well. That because it is the the blades are mentioned further on, and I think Atreus does say to him at one point, "Why didn't you just throw them away?" And he's like, "I tried," uh, but it's. It's never overdone. It's never yeah. it's never drawn out and it's never made this blatant thing. It's never it's it's the beautiful thing of show don't tell. Yeah. 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 And the but the, the blades were a symbol of the guilt and the shame right. and the anger, not the it didn't represent the guilt, the shame and the anger itself. And so we never focus too much on he doesn't focus too much on the blades because it's actually what was linked to the blades that he was struggling with, not the blades themselves. Yeah, the blades themselves. Yeah. yeah. And he treats them, going back to Tom's point about Pandora and that as well, it's uh, he he almost treats them now as the blades are the means to the end. Yeah. Like he needs those blades to save Atreus and mm. he's, he's it's that is the means to the end. It's now I have to do this because I have no other choice. There is yeah. no other way out of this. So. Yeah, and at that point in the game, there wasn't. So no, no. I mean, you can't you can't defeat the uh, the the Helheim, um, the Brambles, uh, Draugers, uh, or the, the Draugers, the Draugers. Also- yeah, yeah, yeah. The Brambles. You can't get past the Brambles. Yeah, I, I think I think I'm going to kill a cat. I swear to God, he's he's left <laughs> me alone all day, and then ever since I sat down to start recording, he's been pouring at me to get on my lap. Oh yeah, I just had to kick Jasper out. Yeah, whining at the door. I was like, fuck <laughs> off. <laughs> Must be that time of the afternoon. Um, yeah, but I think kind of going back to the original topic, Kratos's character development mm. is the reason why it's such a compelling narrative story and such a successful game, in my opinion. So, yes, he he kind of continues that it was a little bit more of the same in in Ragnarok, but I never thought it was. I never felt it was a negative thing. It, it needed more breathing space to tell the rest of the story. But I mean, would, makes- yeah, like, how would you have really, like, would you have done a 360 or 180 on that and ch- tried to change the way Kratos axed for, for the sake of a new game? Like, they didn't do that in the original trilogy. It's, it's, it's Greek Consistent. Kratos all the way through. It's just angry, angry man who gets <laughs> somehow angrier. But then you get to 2018 and it's like, it's a, it was, a, I didn't think it was, in any way, shape, or form, less poignant than the than twenty eighteen was in the way they delivered that story. I think more you get more character development out of Atreus to an extent. Like yeah. there are there are times when it was actually more about Atreus coming of age than it was about Kratos, which is a reflection of Kratos's teachings to yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, and the way and he's letting him grow. Yeah, you're right. It's a it's an extension of the development we established in twenty eighteen. You're just seeing yeah. it through through different character. Jaffe makes one point that uh, he says if the 2018 game was pitched with those exact characters and Kratos the way he was without the history of the previous games, 
it wouldn't have worked. He goes, it wouldn't have worked. But the whole point is the way that it is and the path and the story that it tells is because of those previous games. Uh, uh, yeah, I, it's, it's I, I disagree with that point. point. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous point. Spawn, we don't we don't get the first three trade paperbacks covering him his life as a cop. It's fucking flashbacks told after the fact after he's made the pact with the devil to get the get the powers. You, you can start a character with this whole shame and vengeance and anger and all the rest of it, and then. Yes, you do have to deal with it through good storytelling as to what is that thing. Like, we need to unpick it and understand it. But, yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, I I disagree with this point. Hmm. I I think it's still like- I also think it would have worked as as a game. 100%. There would have- That was was my point. Not not have had the impact that it's had. There is 100% there would have- I reckon it's probably- 50% 50% or more of the player base that came in on 2018 had never played the original God yeah. of War games. It's, it's got to be upwards of that percentage is my guess. So they're coming in with no knowledge or limited knowledge of what has before, and we get enough of who he was through the story. To- do, we, do we even meet his wife in the previous games? I don't think we do. No. No. So, so Sorry. No. She's ethereal his- in a... Dream when he goes into the light of Alfheim, uh, but you don't. She talks to him, but you don't. Are we talking see about uh, Norse wife or Greek wife? We should probably have Norse wife. Oh, Norse, Norse wife. wife. Yeah. So, yeah. so you open the game with him building a pyre for yeah, his she's, wife. She's, she's wrapped up, and they get the ashes. Yeah, who who we've never met. So that's yeah. I mean, to me, that was the that was an interesting way to start a new chapter by closing a chapter we never saw. Mm. We we didn't get to see the wife. We didn't get to see the relationship unfold. We didn't get to see how she interacted with Atreus growing up. Yeah, um, Le Fay too. Le Fay. Le Fay? Fay. Yeah, well, he says he calls her Fay most of the time, but her full name's Le Fay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it's um, longer than that as well. But, but the, the, the point is you can certainly start a story with existing history. And, in fact, unless you're telling the story of a child, you have to. Like the, the, the character already has a personality and you have to stay true to it. Because yeah. if it's not consistent, then you end up with a game where there is no personality in the character. Which is again, but they they and they did that in God of War One, the original did, God of War One. They've done that like, in thousands of games. Yeah, so exactly, there's no yeah. personality. But it was um, this. This was 2018. Was different. Like, God of War One, from memory, had the voiceover introduction. It has the things that they do at the start of movies where they've got to do the do the monologue catch up from a. Galadriel or somebody else to get everybody get everybody <laughs> you, up to speed. You kill you kill the Hydra from memory, and then you do the first bit, and you just like it's you, you get off the get into Greece, and then there's something happens there that makes it go cool, and it's the old lady who does the yes yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's not at the start; it's after you kill the Hydra. Is it? It's been yeah, a I think decade it's after after the Hydra fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be right there. Um, you're probably right. Because he talks with Athena on the ship, it's all coming back to me now. Oh, wow, that was good. Go- good job, Coffee. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, so so sorry, you don't yeah. you don't you don't get that you don't get that backstory monologue. It literally starts with Kratos press R two to swing the axe and cut a tree mm. down. Why is this muscle bound old man swinging axe cutting a tree down with a glowing handprint on it? Like yeah, it what the fuck is so Teok many- doing? Yes, well, <laughs> doesn't look like Teok, but yeah, uh, 
it it's 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 a brilliant way to 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 roll through a game and have so much development for a character in the first before you even press a button with nothing said it has character development from where we saw him previously mm. yeah yeah but i think the but, but that's how it starts but the rest of the game and the, to be honest the rest of both games is just continuous character development and that is what drives the narrative forward it is the reason why the game the games were enjoyable was because we were playing through that development and kind of witnessing it unfold and and the you know the world around him or around them driving that development into them i mean they weren't you know they they had they had antagonists that were driving that character development but it was all internal development yeah well you wonder you wonder how much further in the relationship there with uh Kratos and Atreus if uh, Boulder hadn't turned up and <laughs> yeah. set off set off the well basically Boulder turning up sparked Ragnarok so yeah 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 so, the whole chain yeah. of events yeah just with the uh, with the stranger coming up that you didn't even know his name and uh, so you, you wonder how that continued on so do we do do we disagree with Jaffe I think I do I disagree with Jaffe yeah, having well, I mean, I've only watched those two videos, and well, I've never met know. the guy either. But yeah, I've never met the guy either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it just it. He's it, welcome to join us on Pixels and Pints if uh, <laughs> hey, man, yeah, he catches us catch up. Me. I'm going to be atting the shit out of him for these videos. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It 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 just yeah. I see it as more of a like like a something. Someone took away his toy, and now he's angry. Oh. He's a little mad. Like I don't know. I just I don't I'll get talk- that. I you talk about his being like the way. I don't he's think there's any vindictiveness. Video. Mm. I don't know that second video. I, I I thought he came across just as arrogant and as petty as he did in the first one. And some of the bits where <laughs> he's talking I'm about. I'm not like, adding him now. Thanks, Tom. Ah, fuck him. I'll take him on. Um, yeah, I played his game. I've, I've fucking given him money, so fuck the guy. Um, if he wants to come on and defend himself. Let him do it. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with him to see. Yeah, I'd he like never to sit did, down and do it. But it, I just it, I just think he was contradicting himself a lot in those videos for me. It just yeah. I don't know. It just, it just, it didn't. I don't think he defended himself well. I, I still don't agree with him. It would I don't be agree good that that was that what what he was doing was not what we do. So he didn't have somebody. He had, uh, I think, he had uh, his subscribers in a live chat that were. Yeah, saying he was on Twitch. Speaking. So it would be really good to. I don't know if there's a video out there that is him talking to somebody and actually saying, okay, well. You, you said you loved mm-hmm. 2018. Where would you go after that? If you had to lead into the events of Ragnarok, what yeah, would you you're be right. doing? I, I, you're right. I haven't seen any interactive conversations either. It's yeah. just him. It's a monologue. So uh, definitely add him because if we can get a four-way no way, conversation no going. I, I just I, I just think, yeah, the, the reason I disagree with him is if we'd gotten another Wolverine game, if, if we just treated the first three or four games, if you include Ascension, as the Wolverine character, if we've gotten a fourth Which game, I also don't fucking agree with, but we're not going to go I, down the wall. I don't path. either. But, <laughs> yeah. but, but if we've gotten another another cookie cutter angry God man. of War character with no development, just angry man, just a button masher, yeah. In in the 2018 game climate, I don't think it would have been nearly as successful. It won Game of the Year for fuck's sake. I mean, yeah, yeah. Did they 2005, 2005 did win Game of the Year too. Bunch of there. But again, it was. I think. I think that's a really important thing that it was a product of its time. Like two thousand and five, you think about some of the games that were out then. Like it was, 
uh, like some of them like more, especially more violent titles that were out. Like that was that was a lot of the the appeal around it. Was it like yeah, it told a decent half, uh, not a half decent story, a decent story. But it was also you know you you you're some super strong. It was before Marvel was marveling and like you got to pick dudes up and rip them in half like you felt like you felt like the god of war like they did what they set out to do it set on the box it did oh, mean it, both games won game of the year yeah and 2018 re-release was more successful than any game in the original franchise mm. but the also the the area of that media has changed as well yeah i was going to say the the player base has probably swelled yeah. considerably mm. since the last set of yes. games too and i mean the Absolutely not to throw any shade on those early games. I fucking love them. I yeah. love the storylines that come into, and they play into the Kratos character at the time. Yeah, but does and it not? These ones- Sorry, go ahead. No, no, go go. I was going to say, does it? But do, when you compare it to something like Diablo, right? It's another button masher, dungeon delver. Diablo has stayed true to itself from the start, and even whilst they've added modern, I don't know, quality of life changes, Diablo Four has a hardcore player base, but is ultimately just a copy of three, which was a copy of two, which was a copy of one. I don't yeah, but feel like it was nearly as popular. No, I mean, as someone who played the shit out of Diablo 2, I struggled through Diablo 3, and I was, as soon as I finished the main story, I was like, see you later. Because it's fucking I t- repetitive. I haven't, touched, I haven't touched Diablo 4, and I don't think but, I ever will. But also... What's the name of the characters in there? I mean, do they True. even have names? Are they just Arians? Yeah, I was gonna say, it's just generic, <laughs> generic RPG. Yeah, Deckard yeah. Kane. But I mean, I, I guess yeah. I, I maybe I don't have a valid point there. Then I just felt like you know we've got I some other long I think, running franchises. I think I know franchises. what you're trying to say, and I agree with that point in that that it is just rep- it, it was repetitive. This mixed pivoted. It it, this pivoted to the yeah. times. Yes, and the it, audience. It's funny now, like it's ever since we got those first ones, the, the like Souls like and everything like that. They were the the new games that came out after that were called God of War clones. Yeah, like Castlevania at the time, uh, something of shadows, Colo- uh, shadow, something. shadow of the Colossus. No, no, <laughs> no it was cool. <laughs> it was game. Cool. Yeah, uh, but they were they were that that style of game was a God of War clone, and yeah. now that we've gotten two thousand eighteen, like they're now. God of War clones again. If you've got that 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 combat over the shoulder, the the heavy the heavy and light attacks done to the triggers now, not to the uh, square, circle, triangle uh, buttons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're they're now God of War clones. 2018 mm-hmm. God of War clones. So it is now once again a genre defining game, and that's not that can't just be down to the gameplay is incredibly solid in both the original and what we've got now products of their time but the 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 story and the character and the attachment that you have to to for so many of the player base to go out and play them has now opened this door for more developers to go yeah we need to do that but with our characters with our IP we need to do that and even down to people comparing the enhanced version of Witcher 3 to God of War because yeah. as you're walking around the camera is much closer to the the character in the same position over the right shoulder as as it is for for Kratos. So, but um, I think I think the other takeaway for game developers watching 2018 and Ragnarok unfold were or, or be as successful as they were is hopefully a focus on narrative storytelling in games again. Because I think that's that's what we want. Highly, we're all 
Yeah. Highly interactive storytelling. Because I think we're all getting fucking sick of hearing the same bullshit stories from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we're looking for stories to be told to us in other mediums. Because they're not getting a whole lot out of Hollywood, you could argue. And it's 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 got to be it's got yeah it's got to be that refocus on the character pull back. <laughs> I think this is going to be a dumb comment, uh, but smaller stories because you can't get much of a bigger story than Ragnarok in uh, in <laughs> Norse mythology. True, uh, but uh, character smaller scope, smaller Big sc- story, <laughs> smaller scope. Yeah. There you go. Uh, but but character driven, not yeah. event driven. Yeah, the event of actual. The actual event of Ragnarok happening within Ragnarok, the the God of War Ragnarok game, was in my Last mind hour? was was Last actually hour. too short. I mm. thought that whole section was too short. Yeah. Uh, it didn't feel epic enough to me. Uh, it felt like we're building up, we're building, we're building up. Okay, well that was just ejaculating dust. It was. It was. It was- <laughs> Which is a brilliant title for the episode. <laughs> if only we could yeah, get away with it. Definitely going to get Jaffe on uh, on now. Yeah, come try to think about ejaculating dust. <laughs> Fuck's here sake! We, here we are covering David Jaffe ejaculating dust as the name of the episode. Um, I think you should get George R R Martin on that too. Um, oh, I felt it was less consequential than draining the 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 river basin in the first game. Certainly to the gameplay and to the story. Oh, yeah, sure. So I agree with you. It didn't last long enough, and it wasn't consequential enough. But I think it's it also it's it's also reflective of the player base. Like like you talked about, there's the whether or not we can say how many new players came to the series with 2018 or not. We don't have those numbers, but um, they're getting to that stage now. Like if they've been, if they're let's say they're the fuck. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that was at me for a second. No, Tom, <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, I've, never, boy. I've never seen Loki push his face against the screen enough for the whole screen to warp oh, on right. its stand. So you got a smack. Sorry about that. That's all right. I know. I was just talking about like um, if you think about a, a player base that's growing up with this and like maturing as gamers, they're, they're all the kids that got the first Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Yeah. And now they've aged up enough and they're the ones who are desiring that story, like you were saying. And, like, you know, if they're not getting it through Hollywood- then Well, they're they not getting it from in- Call of Duty games, I can tell you that. <laughs> no, no. The uh, plot lines are thin at best. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's that, like, the 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 way that- Because I, play, I played a lot of those ones and it was like, yeah, the story was, was decent enough. It was, you know, it's a war story, but it's like- but it always left you wanting more, and I couldn't be bothered getting on the multiplayer kind of side of things. And I think there's enough. You weren't getting any story there, mate. I can tell you that. Other than oh, getting you know, you got some stories. Some you got some old. stories in multiplayer. Don't <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, I got told some things, but um, but yeah, no, like they they've played those campaigns, and they're left wanting for an actual good story. That that's where 2018 can come and take them. It's where you know the Uncharted series can come and take Red Dead Redemption. Like they've moved in as matured as gamers, they need this. Mm. Whereas like. You can have a good story in the in the Greek God of War quadrilogy. It's called a quadrilogy now. Um, I think it's actually like seven games in yeah, the I lost Greek count. part of it. Uh, but um, it was still enough, like of the time, just destroy everything, kill everything, blood, guts, sex, mini games, happy days. Like that's that's what the player base wanted at the time. But I think now they they they've they've grown up with that and they've matured enough that they actually like oh cool I still want to be able to tear a guy in half with an axe but I also want a meaningful story like to cut that up to like you know to break up that that thing um, 
I think that's where a lot of the, let's say, mid-20s to, you know, 40 player base, which is a considerable part of the of, of those player bases, is uh, that's where they're at and that's what they want. And I, yeah. I, yeah, and that's why it was so successful, I think. But, yeah. Yes. I... I, do we want to do we want to stay on Game of Thrones or do you want to move on to some other characters? Because there are certainly some other games. Well, we can I don't talk remember about. talking about Game of Thrones, but yep. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> God of War. I don't even know where they came from. It's not like I'm looking you did up mention anything. George R. Martin for some yeah, reason. That's, just that before. must be yeah, it. It's just yeah. a Freudian slip in my Alzheimer's. <clears throat> do we yeah, want well, to start? Let, yeah, well, Dan will come back in, but let's um let's start with one of your your characters you wanted to talk about. Uh, or we can start with one of yours because, I, I mean, uh, yeah, well, let's start with mine because Dan's played Playtale and I haven't. So, so Ma- I believe so. It's too many rats. He wouldn't like it. Or maybe it was, yeah, okay, maybe I'm wrong. I play, I've definitely played it because it was the rat one, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um. So Ellie from The Last of Us 2. Yes. I, I don't count her in the first game because she's almost a passenger on that story. I mean, Joel is there to protect her, but. Sorry, Dan. We've we've moved off. Got a war. Is there anything else you wanted to add on that topic before we do? No, I, I heard you say Joel, so I assumed you'd moved yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, look, Joel went through his own journey, and and that's certainly number one is Joel's story. Number two is Ellie's story. Like, yeah, yeah. I I think John's was interesting and complex, and it's what made the game. Joel's. Right? Joel's. I was going to let it go. The fuck yep. Did I say John? I'm thinking Marston. We're getting on to John later. Um, Joel's was a great development of character in that he was an anti-hero at the start of the game and through the course of the original game became a father figure and it was very much it was very much um coming to terms with grief and loss mm. but i think ellie in the last of us 2 her grief and loss was a lot more um raw it happened more recently in terms of the game's storyline and so it came with anger and vengeance that Joel had probably hung up at some point before the first game. I mean, the well, reality. Sorry, and, and she didn't. And she didn't get to grow up in a pre-apocalyptic world where it's like you would have had ways to deal with that if Joel had that from true. previous things. Yeah, true. But I think I think, and this is full spoilers for the two games that have been out now for I think a decade. Over a decade. Well, the second one just got re-released. So yeah, yeah. the first one was re-released like two years ago, and it had been out for thirteen yeah. years by that stage. But so in the first, I mean, Joel loses his daughter at the start of the apocalypse or the zombie mm. apocalypse, and and was and therefore a lot of what he dealt with in terms of transporting Ellie was dealing with that loss after he had kind of buried it away in a yeah, box. he cut it off. He didn't want a daughter again. He didn't want a family again. He just Wanted but to I, beat him, yeah. But I don't even think it was again. It was that he hadn't dealt with the loss of his original daughter, like his actual biological daughter. Oh, right, and, right, yeah. and and then having to deal with Ellie and interact with Ellie and Ellie being the complete innocent that she was forced him to come to terms with the original pain yeah. in a way that allowed him to become a father figure to Ellie. And I thought that was, let's be real, if that story, if that storyline wasn't as compelling as it was, don't think we would have had a, a game or at least a game that we enjoyed playing as much as we did. And I liken it to God of War for that reason. I think you're right. I mean, the 
the interaction I haven't played too. I've watched I I caught up with the the overall story and character development into this afternoon because I knew it would come up. Uh oh fuck, the, that would have ruined it for you. Sorry. What's that? The well, there's a big spoiler for two fairly early on, about a third of the or a quarter of the way into the game. I'm I'm never gonna play it. Okay. Uh also I the, think we already spoiled it for him years ago yeah, when we played yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um He does the <laughs> The interaction between oh. Joel and Ellie. <laughs> yeah. uh, the interaction with Joel and Ellie and that character development between the two and the relationship development is what drives you forward in yeah. the yeah. sections where you're not focusing on human or the stealth and the, all the all the all the, the combat elements outside yeah. of those combat sections is they're constantly talking to each other and developing slowly developing that that relationship with each other and it would have been nowhere near as compelling uh, mm. as and I mean it's got to be one of those one of the one of the original titles too that had a constant companion that was driving the story forward before that there wasn't too many games that had a constant companion yeah they were usually a game mechanic rather than a narrative element or if yeah, they were so- a narrative element they were they were minimal but they're not yeah. not in the same light that like there's plenty of, of duos that you played as over in the years, but yeah. there's always one was either silent. Yeah, or, fuck tales. Or no one gives a shit about clan. I totally yeah. agree. Uh, yeah, sorry to cut you off there, it's, Tom. It's, no, it's exactly. Yeah, you're right. I, I think going on to some game mechanics that we've gone on to, and as some of our previous talk, talking earlier today, it it could be something that's now being overdone a little bit. Yeah, uh, but well, the good thing about Ellie was. The constant character development, which we have talked about, the constant character interaction was meaningful. It wasn't just yeah. filler or or repeti- repetitive lines that you heard, which drove you insane. It was all you, like they'd you, written so much. If you hadn't fallen in love with Ellie's character in the first game, I don't think you would have given as much of a shit about the, the process that Joel was going through and the attachment that he felt for her wouldn't have felt nearly as believable. He was yeah. He was falling in love with a daughter character and it was told through the lens of this beautiful innocence in this fucking broken world. And I think if you couldn't relate to him falling in love with her as a protective guardian, that it wouldn't have worked. Mm. And to me, that's, that was the, that is the masterstroke. That is that game. Mm. It had to make you want to believe, buy into her and then him in that order. But I think the second game I think is is it like it took a very different turn, and it's almost looking at the first trilogy of God of War or seven games um, compared to the second couple is The Last of Us One versus The Last of Us Two because she she takes a complete tailspin after Joel dies in the second game, mm. and then suddenly this innocence she's she's I'm hesitant to use the word blossoming, but she is she is going through puberty, she's dealing with the kinds of puberty blues that everyone goes through as a teenager at the start of the second game, but there's still a, a level of innocence there that she's she's now a teenage girl coming to her, her womanhood and then the whole thing just gets completely interrupted with Joel's death and her entire psyche pivots Violent, on a- brutal death. Yeah, and, and, her, and that she fucking witnesses Witness. firsthand, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then her entire psyche just breaks into- vengeance and anger and loss and and grief and she has no tools to deal with that no 
And then we watched this character that we fell in love with as an innocent in the first game turn into, dare I say, a monster in the second game where I really struggled with a lot of the choices that she made in the narrative and yet it never felt inconsistent as a character. You could understand why she was doing the dumb shit that she was doing. She was blinded by that vengeance. It oh, drove, was, yeah, massively hurting, especially when you get into the underlay of the story that you know her and Joel had kind of drifted apart and fighting, and she was left with, yeah, as you said, all that guilt, and and then now a new double down on on rage and anger um, when she'd already had her like, and I guess that's the thing as well. She'd already had her innocence stolen when, which Joel, which is I think is a great run through of the first game, is Joel's always trying to protect her innocence. Why he's like, you're not fighting. Like if they like you get away, and then she has to kill that dude, and it's like who was trying see- to rape her? Let's be let's be clear. Like oh, it's yeah. it was almost a literal loss of innocence as well. Yeah, but it's just like yeah, you know, he was always trying to protect her from that, and like that was that was his journey to protect her, and then he had to accept the thing. But then obviously for her, she started out the game in a weird spot, like you said, um, and purely as well because she'd started to kind of piece together that maybe Joel lied at the end of the first game. Yeah. Um, about the whole Firefly situation. So she'd lost trust in this father figure she never thought she'd have, but had grown to absolutely need and want. And then but also got him absolutely sorry. ripped out of out of her life like that. Like yeah, it was it was like it you deals said, with unfinished diffi- business well. Yeah, it was difficult to watch because you you felt that pain, like, and it felt uncomfortable for well for me as a player. But the I like and 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 to character development as a main plot or a main driver for a video game it's not just her journey it's abby's Mm. as well and a couple of interactions at the very start of the game really put these two characters into almost the same starting lineup where they're both seeking vengeance against the other for wrongs that the other doesn't even know yeah and and propels both characters forward to an inevitable kind of climax where they meet again and the character development of Abby as a like as a person and her dealing with it ended up almost overshadowing Ellie's dealing with that pain. Now, I mean, yeah, could you argue that it's a deeper pain, perhaps? But the, the just getting to the point on the beach at the end of of The Last of Us Two, where Ellie's finally understood the error of her ways, she's understood that seeking vengeance to the exclusion of everything else is going to only result in further loss for her. She's come to accept Joel's death. She seems to have learnt everything mm. that she needed to learn on her journey and then goes full fucking rage at the end anyway and it almost kills them both. Just that was the hardest part for me playing that game was just watching her sink back into, into vengeance again like she hadn't learned anything along the way. Yeah. Oh, notwithstanding the fact that she also lost her first lover. So when we talk about loss of innocence, she she had also dealt with grief. She was dealing with grief before Joel died and was kind of processing that still as well, along with guilt and all the rest of it. Yeah. Anyway, I I, I think to me, Ellie's journey, it, I didn't agree with every choice that she made, but I never once questioned the writers. And to me, that made it... The, the that's what told me it was compelling in the sense that I didn't agree with every choice she made, but it was consistent enough with her psyche that I never yeah, said many- the writers fucked up. It was Ellie fucked up. Yeah, which to me is yeah. yeah. 
like when you watch a TV show and you're just screaming at the screen, don't do that, you dumb idiot, and then they do it anyway. It's like, but you, but know you never why go and fucking write, write a sternly worded letter to the writers either. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't. Well, we complain about it on here if it's done poorly. If it's executed poorly. Yes, that's but it was, I mean. But it was executed excellently. Mm. Um, anyway, I, I, think I think that's another game to add to the list. Sorry, Tom. No, I was going to say it's a perfect lead into Plague Tale Innocence because it's, again, it's that same thing of, of as the title implies, losing innocence. It's been struck by a plague. and Because you, you guys haven't played it. No, Dan never either. will because ratty voice. Yeah, does it always have to be rats? <laughs> but it's the same thing. There, it's it's a sister and a brother. A brief rundown of the story: sister and brother living in medieval France. There's a conspiracy against her noble family, and suddenly she's struck into a plague hitting France of rats, like a literal plague. Um, and she's got to protect her brother in that as they're being hunted down by. The, the church, Spanish Inquisition, that kind of thing. Um, but it's, again, you're watching a very well-written young character being forced against their will. And I think any time that's done and it's written well, there were no, like, like, you know, like almost like those weird hero movie moments where they stand up and, like, almost like Neo, like, flex off the dust, you know, like that kind of thing. It was all, it was all like... Really well, slowly built up. You see the character have to form these ideas. How am I going to survive? What will I do to survive? But how can I still keep my younger brother innocent, even though he's going through what he's going through? Um, very much trying to be spoiler-free for this. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's when you see, especially like an, a young, innocent character, just having everything ripped away from them. It's If that's written well and not overly cliched i think it's going to lead into i always find that really leads into a really well written story sometimes they do you have stories like that which just go start becoming too cliched and you're just like okay well now now you've lost me but that's another game i would add to this thing that i never thought i'd get into that game because the gameplay style it's mainly stealth that's not that's not old tommy boy um, <laughs> Lero Jenkins yeah. over here, he just runs in screaming, yeah. About as subtle but, as a bull in a china shop most of the time. But to me, that felt like a thief-esque kind of game set in roughly the same era and, and as you say, stealth-based game. Yeah, but stealth-based, but also like stealth survival almost, you know, in a, mm. in a weird way. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's a little bit different to Thief, but yeah, I can see the similarities for it. But it's just, yeah, it's... That combined, like, for someone who doesn't really like a stealth-based game, like I've never gone into Metal Gear or any of those things, um, it's taken me how long to finally get it stuck into the Assassin's Creed series? Um, and even then, I'm not stealthy at all. Uh, but, like, yeah, going back and playing um, and playing that, and I'm really keen to play the sequel of it. It's just, it's it's the characters that drew you in. And like like Al said when he talked about it, he just finished it. it you, you walked away, like, a little harrowed afterwards. You're like... It was fucking hectic. Like mm. it gets really hectic because it's such a, such a really well written tale. Um, and yeah, if you can get past the uh, the old the old ratty boys, I do I do highly recommend it. <laughs> um, Isn't it interesting that we've just you've you've spoken of we've spoken about uh, the the Last of Us one and two and Plague's Tale, which goes across two games as well. And you've ta- you've really talked about the development of young characters being thrown into situations that 
the 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 young ones of that era, the, those ages, shouldn't be subjected mm. to, and just the massive juxtaposition about uh, against what we Kratos. spoke about for the first forty five minutes. Kratos, who literally put himself in this position, well, yeah. I guess his his birthright was a little bit different, uh, being a demigod, but he made the deal with Ares. He made the he made the 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 dominoes start to fall with yeah. with how his life went. And then and when then he was losing control, he he tried harder to exert it and made it worse. Yeah, and, and then and then you've got these these young characters coming through, and will they then get to this point where they they realize? And this is what I commented to you earlier, Pete, about where Ellie is now is like Kratos in the original trilogy. Where are we going? The Naughty Dog has said they are going to make a part three, uh, but it's not. The Last probably- of Us was always written as a trilogy in mind. Yeah. So it, it will be very interesting to see what, how two ended and her path ended into, uh, and how much it had destroyed her life and how much she had to come to terms with the path that she'd chosen, mm. uh, and and what sort of character she will be moving forward. And I think once again, I'm talking about her in a real person sense, not as in. How will they write her going forward? Because these characters have developed their own personalities. They are absolutely figments of people's imagination, but they have brought these. They're so well written and the interaction that we have with them across the three games, the game series that we've spoken about, ties you to these characters in a way that they have their own personalities and you go, it's kind of like watching a documentary. Like it's kind of like... What's the next part of this? Their life going yeah. to going to show for us? It's not well, what are they going to write them to be? I mean, look, and and you know, I felt like Jaffe was a little overly defensive when he talked about his bona. How do you describe it? His bona fides on yes, I have done a fucking English lit degree and I have studied poetry and. Yeah, you know, he he. I felt like it was overly defensive, and he was clearly responding to some specific hate mail that he hadn't actually shared with us. Mm. But, um, but one of the things that he talks about is a lot of the time a good story. If you strip away all of the 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 setting and the and the background and the events happening to the characters, it should a lot of the times character development should be about uh, a. A moral that you can apply to your everyday life, even if it's set in a Lord of the Rings kind of world, it, the the through line should be something that applies to you every day, and that really talks to exactly what I think we've talked about so far, and we'll talk about at the end with John Marston, in the sense that you know if you pursue vengeance at all costs, it will cost you dearly. Um, that was something that Kratos learned. Uh, it also both it's, – it's funny because they are both very similar when you really break it down. God of War and, and The Last of Us, there's both lots of story are written around vengeance and the cost of vengeance and and the cost of grief and how people respond to grief in different ways and, and frequently are destructive in the way that they deal with it. Mm. God, how do we end up so highbrow? We should talk about these beers That's again. That's the whole idea of these <laughs> uplates, Pete. So- no, I thought they were just to get drunk and talk shit. Can I remind you the sub, the, the the phrase ejaculating dust? We are in no way high <laughs> <laughs> Oh, fuck, I Be- came close to that. <laughs> Spraying that all over my, TV, my screen. Yeah. Um, 
Should we talk about these beers again and give them a score? I think we should, yes. I finished mine. Yep. Um, that was sensational. That is that is beautiful. Sensational. If anyone out there has this bottle sitting in their cellar or sitting in their fridge, it is perfect to drink now, which is one of those, you know, uh, great things about cellaring beer sometimes is you, like, I think if I would have had that, seeing some, some like, when I looked it up on, on Untapped and seeing some early reviews and stuff, it was like, it was a lot sharper. It was a lot like the booze really like came straight out and like hit you in the face. Whereas this was deliciously like not mellow. Like I'm feeling a great, you know, buzz right now. Um, but it just became like a really rich chocolate and coffee, like smooth experience the whole way through. The booze is there definitely, um, but not in an unenjoyable way for something that's 11.2%. Like it's not a small beer. Um so yeah, I'm. That's. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things. It's got five stars on it, so I feel like it's um, really trying to push me that way. Uh, so in an <laughs> act, um, I think it. For for having aged it, it's it's held up really well. Uh, I'm going to give it a four point seven five. It's not a perfect beer. Um, I would have liked. Probably a bit more of in the balance they had of the chocolate and coffee. I would have liked a bit more of that, um, the sharpness of the coffee to still come through, or whether or not it came through originally, and I've I've missed it. Um, but it is an it is an excellent, uh, excellent, excellent stout. Uh, they said they aged it in Starwood red wine barrels. Um, I don't know if that was meant to give any like tanniny like flavors. I didn't get those at all. I didn't get like any. You know, and sometimes you have like something that's barrel aged in like a, a, a sherry or port cask or, or, mm. or red wine barrel. You get that that tannin like flavor and yeah. I, uh, sensation. I didn't get any of that, but um, yeah, four point seven five, really good. If yeah, look, if you could find one, you walk into a bottle shop and see it, just grab it. Well, Carwin Sellers has some apparently. They're Ooh, still big. selling it online. Grab it, delicious. I might grab more. Ten. <laughs> um. Yeah, mine's warmed up really nicely as well. The the flavor has continued to evolve. The the real dark chocolate cocoa characters are really present. Uh, I do get a little bit of that dark fruit that they were talking about before too. It's got a nice astringent bitterness from that black malts. Uh, it's definitely a four seven five for me. It's a damn near perfect, but I'm going to pull my usual card. I would have liked a bit of like hot bitterness in there. Oh okay. yeah, yeah. It's it's got it's it's it does have a sweeter finishing palette to it. So a bit higher it's it's definitely got the, the malt astringency bitterness that I was talking about, but a little bit higher hop bitterness. But that's me too. So yeah. I'm I'm calling that a four seven five because it is a fucking good beer as well. And I kinda wish I had another one for afterwards. <laughs> nice. Mine has I, I'm not going to give it as high a score. I can I'm going to say that up front. So on the on the nose, I get a lot more there's a touch of chocolate, but there's a lot more ethanol. You get that real booziness on the nose, but it has mastered the flavor one hundred percent. And the, the problem is it's mastered with and thank you, I was I couldn't remember the word, but you nailed it, Dan. Astringency. It is that real sharp bitterness. That that reminds me a little bit of soy sauce. I don't know if it's um, 
yeast autolysis or something else as it's as yeah. it's aged, but it, what it would be, yeah, it, especially it just, in barrels too. Yeah, but it also has developed a note that it didn't have at the start. So I've lost a lot of the coffee. I've lost, although that that kind of that bitterness from you get from coffee is still there, which is what I put down to astringency. Um, I was getting wood notes through the middle, you know, 10 minutes after we cracked the beers. Now all I get is pepper jack. It's just pepper, pepper, pepper. And it's not a bad thing by itself. Um, one of my favorite, I know this is taking us a little bit off topic for a second, one of my favorite wines, it was probably not designed to take, it was a Pinot that wasn't designed, probably wasn't designed to taste as peppery as it was, but it had this real strong peppery note through the middle. And I can't find that wine for love or money, but I would love to have bought three or four more to sell it. Um, this, though, I just think it it's it's cool that it's layered and Brick Lane usually don't miss on their stouts. They're, they're pretty well, well known for their stouts outside of their core range. But to me, this just fell apart. The layers fell apart over time. And so to me, this is going to be a 375. Ooh. Which is still a pretty fucking good score when you consider it's out of five. <laughs> um, yeah. Just usually I'm used to the fucking the trilogy of fear knocking it out of the park. Anyway. Which I did fine. I've still got three of those in my stout drawer. So there you go. Happy days. Which ones? Trilogy of the, Fear. The first, I think the first three. I've still got the Gans. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. So I've, I've still got 2023's Trilogy of Fear. I don't know if I'm going to save it for you fuckers or... Um, just do one in each of the next three Uplate episodes. So I haven't decided oh, yet. Mate, go nuts. Um, do you want to move on to John Marston from Red Dead? Do we? Do we? Do we want to? Do want to? Want to just call it here and seems to have doubled back on our beer reviews, or do we want to throw another thirty minutes on this? Well, it's up to you because I obviously can't talk about him because I have not played it, and you'd have to probably be <laughs> spoiler free because I want to play it. Yeah, and, and oh, two, yeah, and you he, can't and, talk about it without spoilers. And, yeah, and he plays it's, a big part in two, and that was where I was. That was probably what I was. I know the basic story, but yeah. Oh, wait, are you talking? With, it's ironic because it. Lines I was thinking up. of Arthur. I don't really know yeah. Arthur's story. I know John's. I know the story of Red Dead One. And I know this. Well, yeah. that's all we were talking about. So Red Dead Two is more focused oh, on Arthur. Arthur. Yeah. So Red Dead so, Two's yeah. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Arthur John's is the in. main. Arthur's the main character for most of it. Yes. 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 Most of it. Well, Arthur's and the main character for most of the... Sorry, John's the main character for most of the first game. Exactly. Mm. And that's exactly what I mean. And yeah. we're trying to be completely vague here because Tom hasn't finished one. Yeah, you know, I hadn't <laughs> hung a hat on Oh, it. no, but I know, um, I, know, I, know, I know what happens at the end of one. I don't know. But, I don't really know the story of two. Why don't you tell us what you know before we go any further? <laughs> uh, guns. No, genuinely. Uh, what? Because <laughs> at the end of one, John dies in the shootout uh, outside his family home. Okay, so that was probably kind of, the big. Yes, that's that's yeah. probably the big spoiler we were yeah, aiming yeah, 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 to yeah. to kind of avoid. Again, the game's been out for long enough, and it's my fault for not playing. Okay. And you play the pro uh, the prologue, prologue, epilogue, epilogue. The Epilogue is Jack, the son. Yeah. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Which, so, and in, which and was in never. Two, sorry, in two Dean. You play, in two, you play Arthur for most of it, and then yep. you play John in the epilogue. Right. And I never thought that we would end up with that kind of echo. Like, that, that was somewhat unexpected in 
playing through RDR2, and I haven't finished the storyline. I knew a long time ago that he dies, um, that that uh, Arthur dies. But until they released the second game and I, I had that plot twist ruined for me, I never really expected it to be an Echo playing two after one. Well, I mean, it's... He's not in one, and as John, you're hunting down Dutch's gang, and Arthur isn't there. So yeah, either Arthur's I'm, on the other side of the it. fucking world, or he's dead. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure in those days he's dead yeah. in the life that he's living. Uh, but, but, there's, but there's, yep. Okay. But but his death is quite different too. The, the the some of the backstory and the the through lines and the you know the character development and the shit that they learn and deal with is is similar but not the same but Arthur's death is very different to to um John's John's a sudden and a direct result of the you know the the core plot points whereas this whereas Arthur's was tangential like his cause of death i mean it was tb he was dying of tb he was diagnosed yeah. <laughs> that might have been something that I might have dodged over there. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry it's like Tom. Ghostbusters all over again. <laughs> uh, and no, he doesn't die of TB. He dies of lead poisoning. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, it just gets better. <laughs> no, like Sorry, I said, Tom. it's fine. No, I, I, knew said- I, I knew he died. I didn't know how it all went. But that's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's my fault again, not playing it. This is no, why no, no, we should no. play big stories when they come out. Well, Pete doesn't even know. So Pete hasn't finished it. So that's I why haven't. I was that's why I wanted to and you haven't even finished Arthur's story. So that's why I wanted to put a pin in John Master. And my comments on Marston were Well, I'm gonna ruin the- something for you. Snape kills Dumbledore. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh his the his character through one is great, but he doesn't actually learn too much in one. I feel that two being a prequel, he actually learns more in two and the epilogue of two than he does all through one. Uh, what's the what's the time difference between the epilogue of two and the start of one? It's 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 a straight cut. Ah, oh, so it's like Rogue One to a New Hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it might be it might be a couple of years, but it's okay. not. Oh, okay. It's it's. It's in the old West time uh, when you start. One Jack is in his mid-teens. Yeah, yeah, and so mm, I think yeah. in the end of two, Jack is somewhere around twelve or thirteen, okay, off the top right. of my head. Yeah, so, yeah, okay. yeah. So it's it's two to three to four years max, but nothing happens in that period. It's yeah. a they're on the farm. Then, but to then me, the story of one starts. But to me, John Marston's story was more about he escaped the life, he which is which are lessons he learns in the second game. So at the start of the first game, he has gotten out of of scum and villainy. Excellent shirt, by the way, Tom. Um, but oh, then yeah. gets dragged back in and again, like against his will, and then ends up dying as a result, essentially. Of being I, unable to escape that life, but he, mm. he got back to it grudgingly. He was blackmailed by the Pinkertons. Mm. So, yeah. I, I, yeah, I think there's still a lot of character development. I think character development drives that story, probably to a lesser extent than some of the other games that we've talked about. But it's still very much present. Mm. Um, and I can't talk more about his character for development in two and why I'm calling that I think 
it ha- more happens in two for John, even though he's not the main character, uh, until at least you and me do a one-on-one uplate. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> because because oh, it's going to be gonna, a uh, very long time for Tom to finish one and two. I was going to say, yeah, go sorry nice, about the TV, I'll, Tom. No, that's fine. I, I, I'll be honest. If you guys want to go ahead, because I will forget. I will forget. It's yeah. Like I've, I've, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Actually, <laughs> uh, I, I've even forgotten. I like I got like three missions into the start of one, and I started up the single player again. And I was just like, I don't remember shit. Like so, yeah. You can go <laughs> nuts. Go nuts. I give you no, full no, permission because I, I don't want to spoil it for Pete either. And because I, I thought the character development, and even I, I didn't. I put John on this instead of Arthur because. Oh, Mr. Whippy's out the front. Uh, the, Jesus. Yeah, no, it's weird. I, we live in suburbia, man. It's, uh, there's these oh, I can happen. hear it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's why I had to stop because it sounded like something like outside my, my study door, but it's down on the street. Uh, that's why I put John in the notes rather than Arthur because Arthur's contained in the story and his story is his character development happens yes it's great and you you get to interact with it in real time even but it though it starts and finishes have, yeah but you don't have any influence on what happens same with john you don't have any influence but no arthur's story even though the game is quite long uh is there but with john we we saw where it ended up and then we come back to where it started and even obviously in when they created uh red dead one that they didn't even have Arthur in mind. Mm. Arthur was a Arthur was a character that they created down the track, and they had to build his and John's relationships on top of that. Yes, and they are completely entwined. And Rockstar did a fantastic job in doing it. And there is even something more I want to mention about the closeness of their relationship that I don't want to say in case Pete hasn't gotten to a certain point in the game. Mm. Uh, but it's to do with his. John's family and and how that encompasses Arthur into the family as well. And John and Arthur, so being quite vague on this, if nobody's played either Red Dead games, they're, they're a gang of outlaws. Uh, in two, you play John Marsden, who's uh, Marston, who's hunting down his old gang, uh, as Pete said, uh, as he's, he's back, basically blackmailed in into the uh, by the Pinkerton Detective Agency in... RDR2, it's a prequel and you're with Dutch Vandalin and Dutch's gang is John, Arthur and a whole bunch of others um, and you're outrunning the Pinkertons and the law and it ends up after about 30 hours just before RDR1 starts. So mm. it's it, it's a real old west but goddamn like the mundane shit you do in that game for the people that you are traveling and escaping the law and that gang is their family and they talk about it all the time. All the time. All the time. It is what attaches you to those characters uh, and develops them more. So it's I think it's a it's a great um it's a great example of long story, uh long format storytelling and character development within within a single volume. Yeah. I also think that the character development is more interesting because he's an unwilling participant in his own story. There John is, or Arthur? Uh, uh, John. Both, actually. Yeah. Well, yeah. But, but well, yeah. I think In the end, I Arthur think, is. <laughs> I think Arthur had more... I, I think Arthur had, had more agency 
Than John. Mm. John was literally blackmailed from the start of the game of RDR one oh, onwards. Oh yeah, one yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think, but it's it, to me, John's story was always more tragic mm. in terms of he had escaped. He just wanted to raise his mm. kid. He wanted to live his life with his wife. Mm. He'd he'd gotten out of the of the game of you know he'd gotten out of the the, the game of being a villain. And very it was very just- fourth wall breaking. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Ruined Pete's train of thought there. <laughs> I, I yeah, I just think I think his his is the more compelling story because it's a story about what happens when life life happens to you and changes the course of your life without you really having much control. And as much control as you try to and try to exert, the ending basically says you don't have a whole lot of say. Mm. You certainly didn't for him. That's what made his story a tragedy. And it's very interesting, one of the characters, the reoccurring characters in RDL 1 is the stranger on the hill. <laughs> and that very much reiterates your point, Pete, as there's, he's a, he's, he has no overall influence on the, the direction that his life's taking. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Anyway. Because it's, uh, it's pre-written for him. Yeah, it's pre-ordained. Mm. But that's, that's all I wanted to say on the topic. Yeah. I think it was good. Happy? Always. Listeners, you happy? They can't <laughs> they can't hear you yet. Email us with your sternly worded letters at <laughs> admin at pixelsandpints.com.au. Uh, cool. Fork and L. All right. Thanks very much for listening. Yeah, Thank you guys. Thank you. Yeah. Enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. Bye.